You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. So, Emily, thank you for taking the time to have this chat today. I'm sure a lot of people can benefit from it, especially uh, women in business or women that are looking to get into business. I'm sure you have a lot of insight that's going to be very resourceful uh, for those individuals. So just to kick things off, do you mind just briefly introducing yourself, what it is you're involved in, and what it is you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. So I am an entrepreneur. I started my first company over 10 years ago now. And then since then, I've gone on to launch and scale for other businesses. So my first company is called Femfatel Media, and it's an event staffing agency. We have over 10,000 staff that work for us now across North America. <coughs> Excuse me. So we do all different types of things like uh, marketing launches, trade shows, commercial work, fashion work, all across the spectrum. And then I've kind of used that to just play off with other business ideas that I've had. And it's, uh, it's been great. And yeah, it's uh, been a, over a decade now, as I said, and still growing, still coming out with new ideas. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So why did you start Femme Fatale, the, the initial business? I started Femme Fatale when I read a book that my sister had given me. It was called Career Renegade, and it was how to make a great living doing what you love. And at the time, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and I worked a job that I hated, and I had gone through many, many jobs. Um, I would have been seen as a (laughs) big flake, I'm sure, to my friends and family, but I just wasn't passionate about anything. I had tried to take different courses and... Like I had signed up to do my real estate license and all different kinds of things, but nothing, nothing stuck. So at the time I got a part-time job as a promotional model and I thought it was the best thing ever. So promoting brands, getting to chat with people, I thought people pay you to be social because I loved that. So I read this book. This book talked about, you know, taking different areas of your life and turning it into a business and how you can take anything you're passionate about find a way to monetize that and be successful. And so at the time it just it sparked something in my brain. I was like, I want to start a promotional company. So I went actually to a man that uh, owned one of the businesses that I was working for at the time. He owned some restaurants and I told him my idea and he was like, don't do it. <laughs> he was like, it's uh, really competitive. There's already a bunch of agencies, you know, it'll never work. And I turned around and did it anyways. And yeah, never looked back. Mm, mm. That's uh, that's pretty good. That kind of goes for everything. Like people will be like, "Yeah, it's competitive." Well, eh, that's that's actually a good sign. You can look at it as you know being a incentive for you to to look. At Absolutely, and it just kind of I think it gave me more of like a drive to prove him to prove him wrong, and just to kind of you know it, it ignited the competitiveness in me, uh-huh. which I think has been a really good driving force. Uh-huh. So what's the biggest challenge you faced initially when, when getting started and, and especially as a female entrepreneur? Well, space? there was a lot of challenges back when I started because I was young. So right then being taken seriously as a young entrepreneur is difficult. And then adding in being a woman and then not having a network or having a financial backing, having any savings, having any experience, having an education. <laughs> I dropped out of high school. Uh, so that all made it very difficult. But what I lacked in all those, I made up for in you know, my motivation and my drive. And yeah, I just, everything is figure outable. It, if you have a will, there is a way. And I had Google at my fingertips, so I figured everything out. And 
it did take a few years until I was able to get the big contracts. Uh, the first few years we did club events and little things like that. But um, to land the National Bank or any of the big corporate contracts that we landed, it took, it took a few years to, to kind of show what we could do and build some credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I was uh, looking up, uh, someone asked you a very similar question and you said that you went into a meeting and they looked at you and asked, asked your age. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, it actually reminded me of an incident I had because I started my businesses when I was very young as well. Okay. Very similar. I like to walk <laughs> into this like really fancy, lush office. Yeah. I had this like pinstripe suit on, but I was like pretty geared up back then as well. I mean, I don't really wear suits much anymore because mm-hmm. times have changed, but you know, I was top to bottom suit, nice watch. I had earrings in, so um, <laughs> nailed hair. Yeah. But the same question is like, so how old are you? Like, I think he was impressed with me overall, but he yeah. just like, got out there and I was like, well, you know, I think it was 19 or something at the time. So. Um, I got the question all the time. Every single event we went to that I was at was like, so you, you own the company and, and who else? It was like, no, it's just me. You can just start taking that as a compliment though, you know, as, as opposed to mm-hmm. a lot of things. And people usually recognize that ambition in you and then they're just, I don't know, maybe it motivates them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask you also on, on the flip side of things, aside from your biggest challenge, what was the, uh, what was the biggest advantage you found you had coming into the space, being kind of fresh, new and young, because that can often give you that advantage. Uh, absolutely. And I had fresh experience working on the other side of things. So I knew what succeeded being on the ground at the events and the marketing campaigns. And I also knew what great brand ambassadors were looking for in an employer. So what they paid, what kind of incentives they had, what got brand ambassadors working hard and really wanting to to represent the brand. So that was a great insight to bring in to the company from the ground floor. And then also too, I think people were a lot more willing to take a meeting with me or to hear me out because they did see that I was young and passionate and driven. Like I remember overhearing these gentlemen talking at a table next to me when I was at a sushi restaurant in Toronto and they were talking about this marketing campaign and this event staffing agency they were hiring. And I got up and I went over to their table and interrupted their conversation. I was like, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to say like, I have an event staffing agency and they were totally receptive to me interrupting their meal and hearing me out and letting me give them a sales pitch, which I don't think if, you know, an older person kind of went up and interrupted a, somebody's meal would be as receptive as this young kind of eager person going up to them. Mm-hmm. So those ways has, has really benefited me. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good that you would even recognize that that's kind of an advantage as well. And, and just being like, being a female, you kind of can, can leverage that a little bit. And I even say that when it comes to like the people I work with, especially mm-hmm. those people, like the women have such opportunity when it comes mm-hmm. to especially being on the phone, trying to sell someone. I find they're, they get a little bit, like they get through better than yeah. a lot of the, uh, like they Absolutely. get keepers. They're just more yeah. friendly. You know, when I try and do a sales call, I, I must sound like an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get a really friendly female voice on there and everyone's just so much more receptive to things. So um, yeah, definitely. it's true. And I had done, you know, some modeling and stuff like that. So I tried to cross that over and utilize any aspect with that to kind of build the business initially, which was, which was good when I was doing clubs, but it actually made it tougher when I wanted to switch to the corporate world because it, 
I had to go back and get a lot of those actual publications taken down and my name removed just to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to ask you about your sister, uh, your mm -hmm. sister's foundation. Well, the foundation named after your sister, mm -hmm. the Lions Foundation. Um, if you mind just elaborating a little bit on what that foundation is all about. So the Julia Lyons Foundation supports different patients undergoing transplants for cystic fibrosis related things, which is usually a double lung transplant. Uh, so my sister passed away in 2011 from cystic fibrosis. Both my siblings were actually born with the disease. I'm the middle child. So if you have two parents that carry the gene, you have a 50% chance of having a child with CF and a 75% chance that they'll carry the gene. And it uh, completely skipped me miraculously. But um, yes, so my sister passed away, unfortunately. She was actually the one who gave me the book, the Career Renegade book that sparked my journey into entrepreneurship. But yeah, so about a year ago, I launched the Julia Lyons Foundation just because we did a lot of charity work with CF Canada. I've worked with them for years and they're amazing and really pushing the research side of things, but they can't actually donate to a patient directly. And so I constantly was being contacted from patients, you know, through my company, we would sponsor them, we would give them money, you know, however, because you, when you go for a lung transplant, you have to relocate within a certain distance of the hospital performing the transplant, because you don't know when you're going to get the call. It's when somebody dies and there's a fit. So you have to be able to get there within 45 minutes, I think it is, uh, to get set and ready for the transplant immediately. So a lot of people have to relocate they can't work while they're waiting they need somebody to a caretaker to come and stay with them so that person can't work you're going back and forth to the hospital so they estimate it's around forty thousand dollars in additional expenses per year and take away the fact that you're not working so not only are you fighting for your life but you're also now worrying about expenses so a lot of people will go bankrupt during that time to try to just survive to lose their homes um, so we help support them financially we help set them up with a place to live. We help set them up with transportation to and from the hospital. And um, yeah, any other areas that we can help, we do. So we'll also facilitate uh, different specific fundraisers just for them. And I also have a company called Jewels, J-W-L-S. Uh, and it's completely inspired from all different aspects of my sister. So her name was, her nickname was Jewels. So Jewels, J-W-L-S. And it's a watch company and we, we make different accessories as well. And 100% of the proceeds goes to the Julia Lyons Foundation. So it's just a way to keep more uh, donations coming in on a steady basis and not to, I, I feel, you know, when you're constantly asking people to donate money, it can get a little a little stale so it's just a another way a fresh way you're actually getting something for it and you it's a gift with meaning so you know like one of the designs is called kashavji and that was the surgeon who performed her second double lung transplant so like different aspects of each design is influenced from her personality which is also too when i made it i thought about you know how her time was limited time was a gift and some time pieces and to keep her kind of doing good in the world and her memory living on yeah. Mm, that's really that's really nice, and I love the idea of how you incorporated it with time. That's really neat. Mm -hmm. I, that same um, that same article I was reading, uh, you had mentioned that you you appreciate your, the time you had spent with her as well, and, and you reflect on that as opposed to a lot of people when they they get in a situation of loss or feelings of grief, they tend not to really reflect on the positive aspects of the overall experience they had with that person. Yes, so they get into a rut or a depression and. Um, 
it's sometimes it's very hard for people to get out of that. So it's great that you're, you're sharing that experience mm-hmm. uh, and just letting people know that there's, there's another way to transmute something, to take something that's seemingly negative, but then making it into this huge positive thing and that you can create this organization and impact people's lives. So um, it's a great testament to, the, to that whole process. It took me a long, long time to be able to get there. Like she passed away in 2011 and it took me many, many years. Like I, I spoke at a few events, but it was really, really hard for me because I had, I had really, really intense grief afterwards to the point where I was in, in the hospital for a month uh, just because I suffered with dealing with it. She was my best friend and we were so close that it just destroyed me when she passed away. So now when I look back, obviously it's been years and I can be thankful that I had something so amazing to be so upset over. It's kind of a double-edged sword, you know? Um, it makes it so much harder when they're gone, but at the same point, you wouldn't trade it for the world because they were so amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now I'm able to facilitate it, that grief into positive things. Mm-hmm. And do you find, this is kind of a personal question, but do you find that you still have a connection with your sister? Though she's not here physically, do you still, can you go into a space where you can be with her there and, and be in, in that love? Because anytime. Oh, absolutely. I have um, this necklace. So she gave me this necklace. She had them made one for her, one for me out of our parents' old wedding bands. And I never take it off. And, you know, like I'll kiss it sometimes, things like that, just when I'm wanting to be connected to her. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Yeah. Uh, so now I want to ask, uh, getting back to the business side of things, how do you, or what strategies do you employ in order to manage people effectively? Because people are generally very difficult to manage. Uh, I notice that in my industry. Yeah. Uh, I work with like designers, developers, and all these creative people, especially creative people tend to be very difficult to manage. Um, <laughs> but what, what strategies do you employ to actually effectively manage people, especially in events, like they have to show up, be on time, be professional, all that. It's different for my head office team that I'm working with one-on-one as opposed to the brand ambassadors that are on site because I'm fairly disconnected from them now. And we've got some good strategies in place that our account coordinators use to, to across the board to manage them. But for my head office team directly, I think you need to figure out for each person their, the best way to manage them because everybody's different and everybody responds differently to things and works differently. So you need to get to know that person and what they're going to respond respond to best i mean there's so many different personalities and and for me i find the best growth comes from when i hire somebody that's totally different from me uh, totally different viewpoints that doesn't get along with me uh just to bring new fresh ideas so figuring out the best way to manage and motivate them is what i've found to be really successful Mm-hmm. And do you do that by like determining what their goals and motives and objectives are Absolutely. and then work towards Get to know what their dreams are, what their passions are. I really, one of the first things I try to determine is what are they passionate about and have them focus on that because if they're passionate about it and they're happy about it, then they're going to work that much harder for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They feel like they're working towards something as opposed mm-hmm. to just like working towards whatever you're doing and yeah, yeah. I feel the same way with, with my team. It's like we have to, it's like a team effort and we're all trying to grow together. Sorry, my dogs. Actually, that was one of my questions too. So your dog, uh, name is Pippa? I have three. Three dogs, okay. Are they all, are they all little? They are all little, yeah. I have a, a Yorkie, a Morkie, and a Rescue. Okay. And so the Rescue's kind of a, a mix of everything, but uh, yeah, they're all tiny. What is a Morkie exactly? What, what kind of breed is that? It's a Maltese Yorkie mix. 
Um, okay. Really cute, about four pounds. Okay. Uh, a lot of cutting or no? Because kind of long hair, no? Uh, they can grow long hair. Come here, Pippa. Come here. Come here. Nope, she's not coming. Uh, they can get long, but usually I keep her pretty short. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and how old is she? She's almost six now. I had her in another Yorkie for years, uh, but my other Yorkie, who was older, passed away suddenly two years ago. I was getting ready to go home for Christmas, and I had them in a stroller because <laughs> Charlotte, my other one, she had like a luxating patella, so her hip bone would pop out. Mm. She didn't like to walk much, so I had her in the stroller. We got into the elevator, and she got excited to see another dog, and she leaned over and fell out of the stroller, and she hit her head and started seizing in the elevator. Oh, wow. So I rushed her to the vet. They told me she was fine, and then the next day she couldn't walk on one side. So I, they admitted to her. Long story short, I paid $10,000 at the end to try to save her, and days later they she couldn't move. They thought she had a brain bleed, so... She ended up passing away, and I was so devastated. And Pippa wasn't eating because Pippa's whole life had been with Charlotte. I'd had the two of them. So I went out. I saw Penny, my rescue, at the Humane Society. And um, Penny had come from a bad situation, so she wasn't available for adoption. They had to do behavioral testing to make sure she was. But I kept going back because it's right near our office, and they kept doing the same thing. So I ended up finding uh, the director's contact on LinkedIn and I sent him a message being like listen this dog blah 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 I will foster to adopt I'll cover all the expenses I just want to get her out of there she's terrified because she wasn't eating and you know so I didn't hear back and I was like I don't know if he'll respond or not so then I went online and I saw Rocky my little Yorkie available for adoption so I went adopted him and then the next day they wrote me back from the Humane Society <laughs> so I was like okay guess I have three uh -huh. Yeah, a little bit unexpected, but yeah. yeah. So it's a full house. It's kind of crazy, but um, I couldn't very well be like, no, actually, keep your keep your abused rescue. I've got a purebred now, so but she's wonderful. But uh, the only thing is, she's like doubled in weight because she came in. She was about seven pounds. Now she's fourteen pounds. <laughs> okay, that's still so light. <laughs> yeah, she came in, and I guess for whatever reason, in her past situation, she was malnourished and whatever you could see her her ribs she was very concave but you know she's very spoiled mm. so do you have an instagram account for either of them no i do not have an instagram account they are sponsored by open farm okay which is great so we post different photos with them they're amazing so they send them different packages of food and treats and very cool no i i I don't know. I, I would really want, I don't like to do anything kind of half-assed. If I was going to do it, I would want to be doing like professional photos and really, really clever, funny uh -huh. um, captions with it. So I think it would be a whole other job if I was going to start an Instagram account. Uh, I asked because I, I have two dogs as well. I have a, a Doberman Pinscher, like a big guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I have a miniature Pinscher, so uh, like a 15, 20 pounds. Uh, yeah. Well, so like a big and a little. And I have Instagram accounts for both of them. Oh, do you? Yeah, because I have more fun sometimes on their accounts, and I like them, them you know, yeah. like just eating this bone right now or whatever. And then I like, have more fun, and then people message like they're talking to them, and I respond like I'm them. So that's amazing. It's like I, I spend more time there than I do on my own account. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to follow those. It's uh, sorry. I'm gonna have to follow those accounts. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you after. Um, but yeah, I'm a very similar way. I like to have nice, pretty photos and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, Doberman's account's actually growing quite a bit. Uh, oh, is it? 
Yeah, he's almost at 30,000 now. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's gotten pretty big. And uh, I'm, I'm looking for more sponsors for him. I've only done a few posts, like um, different toys and a leash and like a jacket, maybe some CBD stuff for dogs. But What uh, was your key to growing his page? Oh, shoot, what, was, what did I do for that? I think it was literally just posting good photos. That's yeah. it. Because I'll post, like, I, I think what really did it, I noticed, like, I made a video of him just sitting on my deck. Like, he looks so regal, like, without even trying, I swear. Like, the rest of us have to actually make an effort. But he's just sitting there on the deck, and I think I posted a video, got, like, a thousand follows just from the video. Wow. Yeah, so I was like, okay, so people just like to see, see him sitting there. So I just started doing that, like, just posting photos and videos of just him looking all, like, fancy and posh. So mm -hmm. I really like that stuff. To grow accounts, though, I found a really effective way is like to exchange story shoutouts with people or feed shoutouts. Okay. So I could go to another. Do I didn't actually do this, but you know, it came across my mind. It takes more effort, but you message other Dobermans or other dogs or other people in your niche. Mm -hmm. and they all post this gotcha. for 24 hours. You post that for 24 hours, and then you kind of share mm -hmm. followers that way. Um, Out of models yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work to do that stuff. That's part of the reason I stopped really posting on my personal Instagram is just because it's like. I don't know. It's, it's, if I don't get enjoyment out of it, I kind of just back off it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's like the dogs one was giving me some, some fun. Same way. <laughs> so, uh, getting back to, uh, to the business side of things again, I wanted to ask you, what is your biggest fear? It doesn't, actually doesn't even have to be business. It could be life, but what is your biggest fear that you have? Or if you have none, that's fine. But, um, just failure for sure is a big fear, you know, getting to the end of my life and not accomplishing what I feel is enough or yeah, I just, uh, I'm really scared to fail. And, and I just, I uh, like to, to take a lot of chances because I don't want to get to the end of my life and regret not trying things. Mm -hmm. That seems to be pretty consistent across the board. When I talk to people, it's like they have that foresight that they <laughs> don't want to reach the end and then be like, Oh, what stones did I leave unturned? Mm -hmm. It really is a big factor for a lot of people's decisions. I tend to worry a lot about um, health too. Uh, I think growing up with two terminally ill siblings, really when my brain was forming as a child, I think, you know, some of those key things formed around the ideas that everything was terminal because both my siblings, you know, with cystic fibrosis, if you get a cold, you will end up in the hospital with a lung infection, pneumonia, all kinds of secondary things. You can end up in ICU, you can die. So my sister actually passed away ultimately from a cold she got from a home care nurse. Um, so when I was a child, it was like, Julia's sick, she got a cold, she's going in the hospital. So my brain now, you know, when I get sick, it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Maybe I have a lot of anxieties around that. So it's, I've been trying to do a lot of CBT actually and, and rework my brain around those things. But yeah, no, those are definitely some big fears I have. Uh -huh. And so do you have a meditation practice that you employ uh, like on a daily basis, weekly basis? It doesn't have to be necessarily sitting cross-legged at Lotus or anything, <laughs> anything whatsoever. I try to. Um, I love to run more so in the summer. I love to run every day outside. And then I like to do that afterwards, just kind of sitting in the shower and do a little meditation. But no, day to day, I, I, I struggle with kind of staying on track with that. Mm -hmm. What about you? Do you? Uh, I do. I do. I was having more of a consistent practice where I would do it like in the mornings, evenings, but lately it's like, if I feel like shit in that moment, I'll go do it. 
You know, if, if I have like an extra 10, 15, five minutes to spare, I'll just go and get some silence somewhere mm-hmm. away from the devices, away from everything, because it's just so like overwhelming all day long. You know, you're just constantly inundated with technology and information and phone calls and emails. and It's nuts. So yeah, my brother was visiting, my younger brother was visiting the other day and he said to me, hey, you can see how long you were on your phone today. And so he swiped and it said seven hours something. Yeah, exactly. I was on my phone seven hours today. It's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like these devices, I feel like they sap our energy to some degree. Mm -hmm. We're all stuck using them in a way. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when I take that time and much like when you just said you were in the shower, it's like you don't have those devices there. Mm -hmm. You just be in your, and and you get your energy back during those times. So I feel like it, it just, revitalizes everything. You know, it was freaky. I bought a pair of, I got a new pair of headphones this weekend. On the back of the box was a warning for cancer. It said warning cancer and then it had a link. And I asked the guy working there and he's like, oh, don't worry, that's all Bluetooth now. They have to start putting that warning label on things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cancer. I'm like, oh, that's good. It's because we're in this like case study, the human case study of technology. It's like mm-hmm. we've only had these things for what, 15 years maybe? So, like, what's the long-term effects? What's the long-term effects of Wi-Fi signals, you know? Like, we don't really know. And we're going to find out down the road that, okay, all of a sudden, it causes cancer, it causes different illnesses, it, you know? And, and we don't really, not much evidence to that now. It's, like, just a big trial and error to see, um, aside from the phones that are exploding in people's pockets, which that happens now. So, um, yeah, definitely good, good to unwind and disconnect sometimes. Um, so, on a similar note, have you tried any psychedelic substances? at all psychedelic substances when i was a teenager i had tried mushrooms and i just i hated it tried them twice and it was awful i remember i swore to myself i would never try it again but i hear it often especially like um a friend of mine he's a he's a ceo of a very big app a very popular one and he was saying that he keeps hearing about it more and more amongst other founders and stuff just to open yourself up to more to new ideas and stuff like that but no i um i haven't and i know yeah too also like dmt and things like that becoming more popular and great for i guess rewiring your brain in a sense but uh no i haven't i i worry about you know the long-term effects of it and having a bad reaction or things like that because it, it could cause mental illness it could cause all kinds of other things as much as you know there's there's good that could come out of it i've thought about micro dosing because I, i've heard that that's really good mm-hmm. yeah so i've experimented myself with a bit of micro dosing for the reason oh, really? because, in, um, because a lot of the you know silicon valley big tech websites, yeah yeah they're they're doing that i've tried the the psilocybin so the magic mushroom micro dosing yep. Uh, and I find it does give me a bit insight throughout the day that's slightly different than what I would normally experience. So I'll get like these creative little intuitions that huh. I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I'm high in any way, shape, or form because it's such a small amount. Yeah. But it just because it does help rewire like those neural pathways. And, and mm-hmm. a lot like what you were just talking about where you're, you're trying to train yourself to get out of that way of thinking like if you have a cold, you're, you know, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. That's why I asked because I think psychedelics could help you with that, like help, mm-hmm. help rewire things. Because I feel like after a few experiences, micro or not, um, you, I think you'd start to establish this new, like, found confidence in your health. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think you'd, you'd just be able to walk with that 
very easily after a few sessions. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it is one of those things where if you're first starting out, um, like setting the set or having a good set and setting. Um, so having someone with you that can help guide you, they're not going to be doing anything themselves, but at least they're there to support you. So someone you trust mm -hmm. and care about. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot of research around it and, and I've, I've tried DMT as well. I found that to be pretty resourceful. Where did you do uh, DMT? So I don't do the typical like ayahuasca ceremonies, which okay. a lot of people talk about where they drink the plant. I have a lot of friends that have done that. It lasts like eight hours or something like that. Um, I've never tried that one because I'm not too interested in being in a room with people throwing up and all this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Because everyone has their own experiences. Everyone has their own trips. And, you know, uh -huh. I'm sure they'd be, some, might be, some people might be freaking out. Some people might be calm. Um, but I've actually done one where it's just through a vape, like it's a vape pen. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's come a long way, actually, the whole technology of it. But it's just through a vape pen. And it's the, like, um, uh, isolate or, uh, like, I guess the extract of the DMT itself, like it, it's, it's not through the ayahuasca plant medicine, but it's like just a, a little liquid inside this, this vape pen. So I'll hit that. Um, and if I have like maybe five to seven hits, like I'll, I've actually had a scenario where I felt like I blasted off into this, like, I felt like I was looking at the universe through a lens. Wow. Through, uh, yeah, just like, I, I don't even know, like I didn't have my body. I was just floating around looking and at- How long did that last? Uh, well, when you do it that way, it's only 15 minutes and then you come back and you're just as you were like, hmm. with a little bit more insight, you know, and then you kind of just lay there like, okay, what just happened? You know, you got to process all that. Yeah. But that one I'm, I'm much more interested in as opposed to the five hour, 10 hour commitment of the ayahuasca ceremonies that everyone's talking about. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard some, some really good stuff about it. Anybody who I know who has tried it has always had a, an amazing experience, but yeah, it just seems so, so strange to go and sit in a room, sweaty room. Yeah. And all throw up together. Yeah. That one's a little weird, but you know, the other I way. She did it in uh, somewhere near Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, and she said it was really good. Cause all the other ones went, I think to Costa Rica. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's actually some places in Toronto that, that host those now. I think because they got so popular in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. places that a lot of people are just doing it here. Uh, a buddy of mine went to one, I think they charged like $700 per person. Okay. And it was the same thing. It was like a group of 10 to 15 people. And then they would all just, they had the shaman and the shaman went around and gave each of them the, uh, the drink or the brew or whatever they call mm -hmm. it. Um, and then they basically are just there overnight and then they leave the next day. Um, it's an it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more studies come out about it because it it, yeah. it is very interesting how it what the things it does to your brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it feels like I feel like we get so attached to this physical reality that we're all so familiar with from from the second we're born. You know, mm -hmm. we get so attached to our physical bodies, and, and mm -hmm. when you try these substances, it kind of takes you out of that physical body, puts you less into the physical, more into like energy. Mm -hmm. I think we're all just energy at the end of the day. I feel like we're all just, uh, and our bodies house this energy. Are they house this consciousness that we can go around and have these conversations and, you know, run businesses or whatever it may be. But in the background of it all, I feel like there's this energy that's like an all pervading energy that no one really experiences because mm -hmm. we're all caught in this, this default mode of operating in the, in the third dimensional physical reality. So mm -hmm. I feel like not many people get step out of that too much. 
And these psychedelics are a nice way just to just to remind us of what's there, you know, just to yeah. take us out of that 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 way that we're always so familiar with our being. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're ever interested in it, <laughs> I would. Uh, maybe, <laughs> even if you want to try, uh, maybe I can like message someone and, and hook up something, and you can. <laughs> But I definitely uh, do recommend um, with a good set and setting, of course. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, what piece of advice uh, would you give anyone that's listening, especially leaning more towards females and those that are interested in becoming entrepreneurs? But what's one piece of advice um, that you would suggest that someone do to, to basically start doing something they love for a living? I would say start now. I mean, from what I, something that I always hear when I'm speaking at events is people, women come up to me and they say they have this idea, or they've, they've had this idea for a number of years, but it's not the right time. They're waiting for this, they're waiting for that, they're waiting, you know, for all different types of obstacles, you know, and you're always going to wish that you started sooner. Start where you are, start with what you have, start start small, start it as a side hustle, but just start. Um, okay, that's pretty good too. I find a lot of people I've talked to that want to start something, they do create obstacles for themselves mm. and they feel like if the product isn't perfect or the service isn't perfect right from the start, they're not doing it. Yeah. But that, that's to say that you're not acknowledging that you're going to constantly evolve and improve anyways. Absolutely. You know? I, I, I like that advice. Just get started on something. And if it sucks, well, the next revision will be better. You know? People too, they'll, they'll say, they'll ask me often, how do I find out what I'm passionate about? And it's like, well, if you were getting paid, what would you be doing? Where does your mind go? What do you love? Find a way to monetize that. You can literally monetize anything. Think of a creative way to turn it into a business. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. So how do you define success? Success to me is being able to do what you want. You know, if you don't want to go to work today, well, you know, obviously an entrepreneur loves their job. So for the most part, they're going to go, but it's just freedom. You know, if you want to pick up and leave at noon, you can. You make your own schedule. It, yeah, it's just freedom to me. Mm -hmm. Freedom. And then on that same note, how do you define happiness? Happiness. Because they are similar, but they are similar. they're different. Freedom is... It's usually more associated to professional work life, this and that. Happiness is more like just life. I mean, I'm, I think doing what you love, being able to spend the days doing what you love is happiness to me. Being able to support my family and, and give back to the community, especially the cystic fibrosis community, is, is happiness to me for sure. It means a lot to me in so many ways. So that would absolutely be happiness to me. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you go about setting goals for yourself? So how do you go about that? And then how do you work towards achieving? So when I set goals, I try to, to remove any potential obstacles. So however ridiculous it might be for me, you know, there might be, you know, that's totally impossible because of this, this, that. But I just take that out. I write down my dream list, you know, for a year, two years, six years. I write it down and then I try to figure out a way to get there things and then I break that down to steps and a timeline and then uh, from there I delegate what I can to my team and yeah that's basically what I do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the delegation part do you find that to be really critical or crucial in the whole process um no 
No, no, no. I didn't do it for a long time. I just find I can get sorry. I can get more done when I delegate. So I delegate the smaller things that don't require my creativity or my time, and then focus on the things that I really love to do. Okay. Yeah, because some people I find they get overwhelmed, especially in the early stages where they they can't delegate because there's no one to delegate to. So they got to wear all the hats. When you first bring somebody on. I've, I found that it was really hard to delegate things because it's really hard to let go of things because you've been doing everything. You've been doing all the positions and wearing all the hats and it's like, okay, now all of a sudden I'm not going to oversee the marketing, not going to do social media, things like that. It's, it's really difficult to let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I feel a similar way when it comes <laughs> to actually handing something off. It's like, well, I could have done that better. So. Yes, or I would have done that differently. That's not how I would have done it. Yeah. Um, it and it's hard to sometimes. Of, uh, like, a level of acceptance almost when I, when I see it, it's like, well, they did their best and it's pretty much good, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have actually too many more questions for you here because we're kind of running through a lot, but uh, I did just want to get your, your closing thoughts, anything you wanted to share to anyone listening to this. Again, if they're interested in starting a business or pursuing their passions, um, any just motivational words you can, you can impart to them. Life is short. Don't waste it building someone else's dream. Don't waste your days because before you know it, you're going to be older and you're going to wish that you had started when you were younger and that you would have taken the chances. You know, my mother was a nurse who worked in palliative care and she heard from people, you know, of the regrets of things that they didn't do. She never heard of regrets from them on their deathbed of things that they did do. You know, so take the chances. Okay. That's great. Um, so where can people find you? Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, anything? Yeah, I'm on everything. On um, Instagram, my name is Emily Lioness. So L-Y-O-N-E-S-S. They can follow along there. I'm Miss Fatale on Twitter. M-S-F-A-T-A-L-E. I don't go on there too much, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So yeah. Okay, great. I'll include all the links as well to all your profiles in the description. Awesome. Episode and Perfect. I'll send you a message as well once it's up so you can uh, take a look or share it or do whatever you want to do. But thanks for taking the time to have this Hello. chat. A lot of people are going to really appreciate it. And I encourage anyone listening to this to reach out to Emily if you have questions. I'm sure Emily will be more than happy to answer. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Thank you for taking the time again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. My pleasure.